Okay, Genesis 4, the first 16 verses. Now the man had relationships with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstling of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. And so the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign on for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You know, it's said that um, in everything there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And I don't think any of us have really tested that in every area, but I think most of us agree that that's probably true. In so many areas, there is a right way and a wrong way to do things. Years ago, I remember myself and several of the guys in the church helped me, and I built a, a great garage. You know, only guys call their garages great, right? You know, we'd care less about the rest of the house. Give us a good garage, and, and we're happy. But I remember as me and a guy named Lauren worked for literally weeks getting the foundation uh, ready, uh, laying out the forms, uh, wiring together the rebarb, and it just seemed like, would we ever get beyond the foundation? Well, of course we did, and the garage turned out great, and I learned the importance that if the foundation ain't right, the building isn't going to be right. And so in that sense, it's true that there was a right way and a wrong way to do things. And I think about, if that is true, think about this for a minute, if that is true in so many areas of our life, then how much more true is it when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? There is a right way to approach the Lord and a wrong way to approach the Lord. There's a right way to walk with the Lord, to serve the Lord. And there's a wrong way to walk with the Lord, a wrong way to serve the Lord. And so that's one of the things, it is the thing that we're going to talk about today. You know, if you think of the beginning of the book of Genesis, we've seen both examples. In God creating the world and his creation, and remember we talked about how incredible the garden was, the paradise, it was just, it had to be incredible. You see a right thing. You see a right, everything was working. And then when Adam and Eve fell, as they did, or actually literally uh, Adam fell and Eve was deceived um, and sin entered in you see then what happens when all of a sudden man did things a different way and so it's a good illustration even as we've started the book of a right way and a wrong way and what we need to understand what I want you to think about this morning and leave with is that 
apart from Christ in our lives and one being born again, being born from above, um, living a life full of faith and walking in the power of the Spirit is impossible. And so it's a crucial that that is what we have to have. We, in order to walk the way that I'm going to show you today, we're to walk. First of all, you've got to be born again. And second of all, then you've got to allow the Holy Spirit who indwells you from the time you are saved really start ruling your life, leading your life. Otherwise, it's going to be impossible to live the way you want to live. And that's how God wants us to live. It's going to be interesting as you think about it. I'm going to show you in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but if you think about it, that's what we're seeing today. From the very beginning, God lays out that there was a way to go walk with him, a way to approach him, and it's always been that way. You know the verse in the Old Testament out of the uh, Zerubbabel in uh, Zechariah 4.6 when uh, the Lord came to Zerubbabel and said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And Zerubbabel was being told this because he wasn't to fight. He wasn't to do anything in his own strength, his own wisdom, his own whatever ability. That's what the might or power is there. But he was only to do it by the spirit of God. We go to the New Testament when the church was being born, the early days of the church. The Lord, Luke is the author of Acts. The Lord went to the disciples. We know the 12 and the 12 had, there were others beyond the 12. But he told the 12, he said that they were in Acts 1-4, they had commanded them not to leave Jerusalem until what happened in verse 8. Until you receive power from the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you'll be my witnesses and we know what's happened. They went on to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to this day. You and I, if we know the Lord today, we know the Lord because of the witness of the first 12 disciples that went forth like that. And so, but again, what I want you to see is what God was trying to show them is there's a way to serve me and a way not to serve me. And of course, you should be saying to yourself, I want to know the way. I want to know how the Lord wants me to serve him and what's the right way. And so, if we want to live for God and follow him, again, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And it doesn't automatically flow from one's life, does it? The opposite actually flows from our lives. Um, you know, uh, it's very natural to have the other things that we're going to look at, the, the flesh, the works of the flesh, our own effort, our own um, strength. That's easy to let it flow from our life. But it's not what is to flow from our life as we serve the, serve the Lord. And so we want to make sure that we understand we're serving him the right way. And so chapter four is about two ways, the way of Cain, the way of Abel. The way of Cain is the way of the flesh, the way of the works. The way of Abel is the way of uh, the spirit of the way of faith and the, the, and the way of trust. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. And so it's a two-part message. And um, the first part is today the way of Cain. The second part will be next two Sundays when we get at it again will be the way of Abel. And so we just want to work our way through this life of Cain. And in, in, in many ways, it's um, it really is looking at the negative side of a person, the negative side of the things in Cain's life. But you know, the positive of that is as you look at what Cain did wrong, then it could be an example for you and I to, to hold it against our own life and learn how we're to live. So look at it again. Okay, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so, following the fall, Adam and Eve had their first children, um, and the first one was Cain. And Cain means gotten or uh, possession, and so that, of course, is what he was to his parents. And verse 2 tells us that he was a 
tiller of the ground. And that was just, that's an Old Testament way of saying he was a farmer. And don't think that because you're going to see that Cain went the wrong way that there's anything wrong with farming. Farming back then as today was a noble profession, was a needed profession. Without farmers, you and I would be hungry. Okay, so we see that. And notice though something too, before we get too far here, that I think is worth pointing out in the words when Eve says in verse one, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. I think it's important to point out. And again, it's nothing to do with Cain so much. It has to do with what we looked at last week in the fall, because as we looked at the fall last week and we saw Eve and what she did, how she was deceived by the enemy, by the serpent. And she took of that fruit and then gave it to Adam and Adam, Adam disobeyed. It's easy to think that this was a woman that had no regard for the Lord, but that really isn't the case. And these words right here in this verse show us that when she says that I've gotten a man child, how with the help of the Lord. And so she was a God fearing woman. She sought the Lord and she acknowledged his help. And that's what you see here. And Henry Morris says the testimony of praise is itself sufficient proof that Eve was a believer in the Lord and in the truthfulness of God's promise. So, before you have a bad attitude about Eve, okay, understand, really, she, she was a lot like us, wasn't she? And yet, she did have a heart for God, and when Cain came forth, she realized it as a work of God. Verse 3, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And so here we see that Cain came to worship God. That's what it's talking about here, okay? And by bringing this offering... and. And so if you think about it, somewhere between uh, what we studied last week and where we're at this week, Adam and Eve had to communicate with Cain and Abel that they were to seek God. They probably told them about God. They probably told them about what it was like to walk with him in the garden and have a relationship with him before the fall. They probably shared with him how they blew it and the consequences of that. And so they had somewhere along the line probably instructed them that they are to worship God. And that's what we see here as Cain is seeking to do this by bringing some of the fruits of the soil, his farming efforts now before the Lord. Verse four, and Abel on his part also brought the firstlings of his flocks and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And so like his older brother, then we see that Abel brought an offering as well. And his being the choice portions of meat from the livestock he tended. He was a shepherd. It says the fat portions, and I just like to play around with these things because it wasn't really fat, okay? It wasn't like those chunks of fat that you have on a beef roast. Really what it was, it was the best portions, and that's what God always got. And so that is what he brought there. And the Lord, notice it said, had regard for Abel's, but it says he had no regard for Cain's. And I want to show you what that means. In the Hebrew... The word for regard there means the Lord gazed at. Okay, He inspected or considered Abel's offering. In the theological workbook of the Old Testament put out by Moody Press, it says it can be translated to look at with interest. It is never a casual or disinterest glance. It means to look at with approval, to approve of. And so that's what God was doing as he looked at the offerings that these two boys brought to him. And so to have no regard for Cain's offering means God looked at it. He considered it. He didn't just glance at it, but he did so then with disapproval. There was something going on, something in Cain's offering that God had disregard for it. And that leads to the question then, why? Why was Cain's offering rejected and Abel's offering wasn't? 
And it's interesting. There, there is some thought. And just run with me this. Sometimes, you know, you hear things for the first time and then you need to go away and chew on them a little bit. There's some thought that, was it in, that it was in what they offered. Now, I'm going to show you that's probably not the case, but it is an interesting think, way of thinking. And so Cain produced, uh, Cain brought, produced produce and where Abel uh, was a shepherd. And so it was because of Abel was offering an animal versus to what Cain was offering that his was accepted. And, and the thinking there is because we know ultimately that Abel's offering would, could point to the sacrifice that God would make, right? That God would offer Christ, his own life as a sacrifice. And we know under the Mosaic law that that would come to be, that they'd have to bring animals and sacrifice them to God as well. And even last week when God offered them these animal skins to cover up their nakedness, I pointed out to you that it was a pointing to that life of Christ that would be offered ultimately for sin. And so there is some thought that um, it was in the offering. It, the offering itself of why Abel's was accepted and Cain's wasn't accepted. Um, but the breathe, that probably isn't the best way to look at it because it, it really is in how they offered it. And I'll, and I'll show you why. If you look in your Bibles there, you'll notice the word offering is used two, three, four times there as they talk about them bringing these offerings. And offering is an interesting word. It's used in a couple different ways. In the Levitical law, it was used uh, at times of a bloodless offering. And so it would be they were to bring an offering of a mixture of flour and oil or flour and frankincense. And you could look in Leviticus 2 later and you'll find verses in there that talk about that very thing. But it also, the same word is used in a broader sense to mean not just a bloodless offering, no, no blood involved, you know, but also those offerings that did involve blood, in other words, of an animal. And here the broader sense is used. Why? Because both offerings are being offered. So the same word is being used in both ways here. One for an offering including animal blood, one including no blood. And so it's probably best to see that it wasn't then in what was being offered, but it was in how it was being offered. And so why did God reject Cain offering? Because it wasn't being brought in and with faith. Very simple. He didn't bring it with humility. Abel came with humility. Abel came with gratefulness in his life. You could even say he came with a humbleness, a brokenness in his life, and he came trusting God. But Cain, Cain came in a spirit of self-sufficiency. He came with pride. He came with, rebellion, with a rebelliousness as opposed to a humility. And I think by the time we get through these verses, you'll see that's clear. And we know this because sometimes the Bible is its own best commentary. Hebrews 11.4 tells us this is what happened. It says there, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. Why was it better? It says right there, because it was offered by faith. Though, then Cain, though which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gift and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And so Abel came before God in faith, trusting him and as to trusting himself. I like how J.B. Phillips says it in his translation of the New Testament. He said it was because of his faith that Abel made a better sacrifice to God than Cain. That's exactly. And he, and he had evidence that God looked upon him as righteous, as a righteous, uh, as a righteous man whose gifts he could accept. And though Cain killed him, yet by his faith he still speaks to us today. And so what, is, what speaks to us today about, Cain, about Abel is that he came to God in faith. And it says to you and I, that's the same way we're to come. 
You know, again, I told you this as we started. This has always been God's message. He's always wanted us to come to him in a certain way, you know, with that humility. Look at the passage in the Old Testament of Hosea 6. It says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifices and in knowing and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so God shows you he's looking for one thing and not the other. Micah 6 at verse 6 says, what, With what then shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God of on high? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then what does the Lord say? Basically, the Lord is saying, no, that's not what I want. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? See, there it is. That is the way and what God is looking for. And that was the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain came not with a trusting, not with a dependency upon God. His heart was far from God, really. He was trying to approach God on his own terms, in his own ways. And the Lord saw this, and thus his offering was rejected. And if you doubt that, again, and wonder how do you know it, well, just look at what comes out of Cain's heart in verse 5. He said when God rejected, he said, So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance falling? And so that's evidence of what was in his heart when God rejected his offering. You know, the King James says Cain came with, with Cain was very wroth. And it just means there, this kind of a, I love some of those old words, but it just means anger. It means he, it means to glow or grow warm, to blaze up, to wax hot. And the word is used of anger, zeal, or jealousy. And here it's used that Cain had anger and Cain had jealousy in his life as he came. And so this is how we know Cain didn't come in faith. It would seem there was rebellion in his heart when he came. And that led to the anger towards the Lord. See, he said, basically, I'm going to I'm going to just bring this thing the way I want to bring it. And when God said, I don't have regard for you, I don't accept yours. He rejected it. Look at how fast Cain got angry. And it tells us what was going on. And so this is how he came. And as opposed to how Abel came and and Cain had to do uh, Cain had to do was to come in faith and he'd be accepted as his brother would be accepted. You know, it says his countenance fell. Countenance is how you look because of how you feel. And so Cain was dejected. But if he would come as Abel came, he too would find acceptance, wouldn't he? That's what it says there. I like how the New Living says it. He says, you will be accepted if you respond in the right way. And so there was no doubt that Cain could have changed right then and responded in the right way. And, you know, before you find yourself booing at Cain or throwing stones at Cain, we need to understand, we need to see and accept the fact that for every one of us here this morning, to go the way of Cain is very possible. Now, if you just said, no, it's not for me, well, then I'm going to talk about pride in a little bit and you want to key in on that one. <laughs> but seriously, it really is possible. And I think we all would agree with that. It's easy to go that way if we're not careful. And the only way to prevent us from going that way is a constant relying upon God and the work of his spirit in our lives. And that's what's so important. We need to understand that. And if we see Cain's way as something that is foreign to us, we may find ourselves walking before God and trying to serve God in the same way. And it's so sad how often I've seen believers that have come to Christ 
And then they just keep trying to serve God and, and do things for God, but it's all in their own strength. Do you understand the flesh is capable of a lot? Do you understand that you and I and our flesh can do a lot of things and it will look like it's God doing it, but it's really nothing more than we are, we're doing it in our flesh? You know, I don't want to be critical of the church. Our church isn't perfect. No church is perfect. And who, God knows there's all types of different churches and stuff. But I think we'd all agree that today when we look at the church as a whole, it seems like in some ways we're getting off track. You know? I mean, I don't say this because our church isn't this gigantic fellowship. I don't think I'd want a gigantic fellowship. Somebody said to me, what would you do, you know, if God gave you that? I said, well, I don't know, really. I just help. Hopefully he'd help me because the whole idea kind of overwhelms me. But I think it's kind of weird when you have, you know, these mega fellowships of thousands and thousands of people. And yet I wonder, you know, what is really happening, interacting in that body and what kind of body life is going on? And how are people connecting with each other? And how are people really being held accountable to each other? And Christianity in some ways at times has just become, don't you get the feeling at times it it has become more of entertainment? You know, give me a good show on Sunday morning, make me feel good about myself, and then let me go on my way. And, and so again, you know, we, we, wanna, we need to be careful and realize that we can go in a way that isn't of the Lord. And the difference is in Christ, though, we have the Holy Spirit. And as I've already mentioned, He does make the difference if we are relying upon His leading. Now, if we are to summarize... Cain's life. And when I use the word summarize, it doesn't mean I'm done, okay? <laughs> Some of you go, wow, cool. <laughs> going to be a fast one today. But I want to show you six things that will summarize Cain's life for you. The first one is Cain was a man. He was man-centered. He had man-centered thinking as opposed to God-given revelation, okay? So in other words, he was the source. He was The input in his life was from himself when it should have been really God's input in his life. And I think you see it in the verse 5 when it says, So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. We see human input as opposed to divine. And it, the reason is this, is that kind of anger shows us that his own thoughts, his own will, and if you will, his, un, his own understanding was what was controlling him. Because why? He had brought an offering to God, and the minute God said, I don't accept that, what did he do? He blew up. And why? Because... He was in control of his life. You can relate to that, can't you? When you are in control of some situation, you see it with kids. We'll just pick on kids so we don't have to get personal to anybody here. We'll pick on little kids, okay? Little than that little guy back there, so he doesn't think I'm talking about him, okay? But we see it with kids at times. They want their own way, and when your parent says no, once in a while they've been known to throw a temper tamper, right? My wife had a great... Here's a lesson for you guys on parenting... My wife had a great way of breaking our kids of a temper tamper. They would love to fall down and just... My wife would just keep picking them up until they stopped it. And they finally realized, hmm, that isn't working. And it worked. They quit doing it. But anyway, so that's my parenting lesson for today. But but anyway, that's really what happened here, you know. And you'd be hard-pressed to say here that God was governing his life right then when all of a sudden his offerings rejected and he becomes angry. And while the text doesn't say so, it's believed that Adam, again, he had instructed them about approaching the Lord. And, and that, that when one comes, think about this. If nothing else, they would know God was God and God being God implies then an attitude that sinful man is to approach. Could you agree with that? 
In other words, you may not know much about God other than the fact that He is God and you aren't, and that in itself would have, should have an impact on you of how you approach Him. So Cain came, came, came full of himself, full of his own thinking. And, and, you know, anger will come in our lives. And anger in itself isn't necessarily wrong. There is a justified anger. I think today that us believers and us that love Christ, and when we, we see that His Word really shows man how to live and we see man doing the opposite of that, there should be some anger in our lives. You know, I think of what um, whatever show it is, is a Dateline that has been doing these exposés on these uh, predators on the Internet. You should get angry about that type of stuff. You know, nothing's wrong with that. It, that's a horrible thing. You know, if you don't understand that, when, when a child is abused like that, their lives are scarred forever. You know, we have individuals in our fellowship that were abused when they were children. And I've talked to them. And I know the battle that they face to this day because of that. And we should get angry about things like that. And so anger in itself, I don't want you to think that we should never get angry. But listen, if it isn't met with God's revelation, and if it isn't met with God's spirit, then it leads to that usually which is wrong. Paul said in Ephesians, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So, that verse tells us, Paul's saying, it's okay to be angry. But I think what he's saying there, by not letting the sun go down, on, don't let it go too far. If you let it go too far, if you don't deal with it, if you let it get out of control, then in effect, you are giving the enemy a foothold. And if the enemy has a foothold, you're going to be in trouble. And, and, and not that this is a, a teaching on anger, but it amazes me as I thought about this, that how when God is truly ruling over our lives, anger seems to be absence. And some of you may be thinking, I don't have an anger problem. Can I ask you, do you have an impatient problem? <laughs> because aren't impatience and anger really close? <laughs> they are. They are very close together. So if you don't think you have an anger problem, then maybe your problem could be impatience at times. And we all have that. I mean, my goodness. this You know, I'm an old Seattle boy. And uh, how this city has changed. And, I mean, it's just like this area. I was over at the building here yesterday doing some work, and then I, I told my wife, we went out last night, so let's not go that way because it was rainy, and it was like you, you would have thought it was the day before Christmas with all the cars in this area and the traffic, and I didn't even know what the mall looked like. I didn't want to know, you know. And so it's just a crazy world. It's a world where you can really get impatient and angry over things, isn't it? But, again, that's what we see. And so Cain, if Cain would have come, with God's thinking. Okay, God, what do you want? Then God would accept it as offering. But again, he was filled with his own thinking. Next thing is Cain was, he had a man-centered willfulness as opposed to wanting God's will. In other words, he was about his will as opposed to God's will being done. And, and at that point, God came to Cain in verse 6. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Do you realize right there was a chance for Cain to flip it? It was a chance right then. Do you, this is really incredible to think about this because if he would have changed right then, if he had listened to God, if he let go of his pride, his anger, and everything else, and done what God said, murder would have not happened. He wouldn't have been cast out to the earth. He wouldn't have lived a lonely life and everything else that went along with it. And so, again, he had a chance to do God's will right then, but he was about his will. The New, the new Living again says, you will be accepted if you respond in the right way. Verse 7, if you do well, Will your countenance not be lifted up? Okay? And if you do not, sin is crouching at your door and it desires for you, but you must master it. And so Cain could have done the right thing. 
And it would have resulted in God accepting him. And so notice, watch this. This whole thing, if you link all these things together, is like this downward spiral. And that's what sin always is. Is what first happens is there's a thinking and the thinking next comes the will and actions. And it just one after the other is just leading itself in the same way of his life. And that's what took place. And so again, he chose his own will, his willfulness over God's. And, it, and, and, and in that way he failed. And so the way of Cain was the way of self-will. Okay. And remember what John the Baptist said. I love the words of John the Baptist when he cried out and said, He must increase and I must decrease. See, that's our cry, you guys. That's supposed to be our cry. Not your will, not my will, God, your will. You know, I don't want to be like Cain. I want your will to be done, Lord. I really do want to decrease. So that's an important thing. A third thing about Cain's life is there was a man-centered pride in him as opposed to a God-given humility. He had pride in his life. He was a prideful man. It kept him from doing the right thing when God wanted him to be humble. Look at verse 8. It says, Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, um, his brother, and killed him. And so from rage, that's what's going on here, jealousy, rebellion, unbelief, and pride comes the first murder in the Bible. And you know, man has been killing each other for the same reasons ever since. Okay? Just going on for these rage and jealousy and rebellion and unbelief and pride. Notice it says there, if, I don't know what translation you're using, in the new NSV, the NASV it says, Cain told his brother. And then there's a period. And it seems like there should be, told his brother what? And it's really interesting. I want to show you something. If you have an NIV Bible, you're gonna, your Bible says this. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And the reason why that the NIV has more is because, of course, the NIV came a little later. There were some other transcripts and a couple sources um, in the Samaritan Pentateuch and the Septuagint. Um, they have Cain saying then, let's go out to the field. And what's interesting about that is if that's the case, and I think it is, I think he said to his brother there, Cain told his brother, let's go out to the field. Why? Because he was premeditating his murder. He was thinking about it. And it seems to lend itself to that. And so here is premeditation. Cain had given it thought. He, watch it, he ran with his anger and it led to a plot to kill his brother and ultimately his brother's death. See, God had promised Cain that if he'd do right, he'd be accepted. And that was God's, that God's help would come and help him master the sin that was seeking to destroy him. But again, watch, pride kept him from humbling himself and coming before God. And Cain, if he would have humbled himself, how different things would have turned out. Entirely different. You know what, guys? Pride is a huge issue. I, I don't think there's a believer. I, I, I'm not sure. I, and I could be wrong. Sometimes I say things without really thinking them through. But I think most people at times suffer from pride. You know, all you have to do to realize that you might suffer from pride at times is... When, when somebody says something to try to correct you, do you get defensive? Do you try to justify? All those type of things so often can be pride if what they're saying is true, see? And so all of us struggle with it at times. You know, we don't want to admit about ourselves, but understand this passage is an eye-opener of how pride can blind you and I and how pride really can, again, stop us from walking the way God would have us walk. And so we, we want to be careful in that area. And you know what's sad? Look at verse 7 again. 
Cain did what he did knowing there were going to be severe consequences. See, verse 8 that I read, his pride caused him to do that. But verse 7, the last part says, And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and a desire is for you. You must master it. So in other words, God's sin came. If you don't deal with your anger, there are going to be consequences. And so what happened? He was told that and then he went on and he murdered his brother. And it's so sad because he knew there were going to be consequences, but he did it anyway. And I don't understand that, you guys. I think sometimes it's our flesh, just the weakness of our life, the lack of letting surrender to God, whatever. We do the same thing at times. We know we shouldn't do something and we go ahead and do it anyway. You know, on a light note for a husband, we say things to our wife we know we shouldn't say. That's just an easy thing. There's a whole lot worse than that. Don't we, guys? We let things out of our mouth and as they're coming out, we realize, and man, we get it. And we deserve it. And so we, we, so, so often we have to understand that, that it's sad that he did that. And so pride was behind Cain's fall and it led to these consequences. A fourth thing that summarizes his life is there was a, this man-centered hatred in his life as opposed to a, a God-given love. That's what God wanted in his life was his love, the way of God in his life. But he had hatred. The way of Cain was not the way of agape love, right? Murder and love really don't go together. And so on the one hand, verse 7, sin was at Cain's door. Sin desired him. And it desires you and I. And, and we can say the ability to hate then is within us as well. I know that sounds strong, but it really is there. But notice again, verse 7, it says you must master it. Now watch this. The word master there can be translated conquer, subdue, or overcome. And that's what God's saying to Cain, and that's what God is saying to you and I too. We have got to be the ones that we have to deal with our, uh, the sin in our life. If it's anger, whatever it is, we have to deal with that in our life. And watch this. It may sound like God is saying to Cain, Cain, you can do this. You can do this in your own strength. But if you think you'd know by what I've shown you so far today in the Bible, you'd go, no, that can't be what God's saying. And it's not. What God is really saying there is, Cain, you can do it as you rest and rely upon me. And this is so important, you guys. We face a battle every single day. We are in a warfare. And we need to understand that the way to deal with that is by resting in God, by relying upon God, then we can have victory. And, and you know why the Old Testament saints didn't have, don't have, didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do today? We know in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit would come on upon different individuals at different times. It almost seems here is one of those times where Cain is being offered a power beyond himself to help with him defeating sin. And note their hatred and anger, even if it doesn't lead to murder. Okay, watch this. doesn't mean we can give it a pass. See, I don't think I've got any of you in this church this morning that are murderers. Okay? But we could have anger in our lives. We say, well, this isn't convicting me because I haven't murdered. But, you know, what did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Remember that Beatitude? You've heard thou, it said, thou shall not murder. But I say to you, if thou has anger in your life, in your heart. see. And I just want you to understand what I want you to realize is that if there's things like this in our life, we ought to be careful that we don't just give ourselves a pass on it and act like I don't have to deal with it. It's something that we should deal with. You know, God's love is available to all who want it. God's love has been given to believers, those who have given their life to Christ. And so we don't have to go the way of a life of hatred. We can go the way of love. Look what John said. First John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father what has bestowed on us 
that we should be called the children of God. So it doesn't say might bestow on us or in the future will bestow on us. What it's saying there is if you come to Christ, the Father has bestowed His love upon you. Later in the chapter, for this is a message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so the way of Cain is the way of hatred. It is a life devoid of divine love. And how God desires to keep us filled with his love. And again, it's something we need to be asking for all the time. Fifth thing then is another thing that summarizes his life is it was a, there was a man-centered hostility in his life as opposed to God's favor. You know, to say Cain was hostile to Abel is not hard to see because he killed him. Um, and you see this whole downward spiral. But watch what happens. Look at verse 9. You see the hostility he had towards God. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And that may seem like just a polite response. But remember, he is angry. Remember at this point now, he has already killed his brother. And what he's really doing there, he is lying right to the Lord. God says, where is your brother? And he says, I don't know. Lie. You know where he's at. You know how you killed him. You know where you killed him. You know where you know where you buried him. You know where his blood was spilled. And then look at the sarcasm. Am I my brother's keeper? See? He's lying to God. Because he knew exactly what he had done. John Davis in his book, Paradise to Prison, says, premeditated murder in the history of the world's first family was no accident. Sin distorts reason unbelievably and produces irrational acts. And that's what we see happening with Cain here. This hostility that was in his life. And again, I'm not saying that any of you are overly hostile. I don't know really. But I'm just saying it's not the way God wants. Then the last thing is he, he this, his man-centeredness, and this is so sad, it led to loneliness. It led to a lonely life instead of fellowship with God that he could have had. Ultimately, Cain's way leads to that. Sin leads to that. He was driven from the ground and he became a restless wanderer. Look at verse 10. He said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And so the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, and that no one finding him would slay him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. This has got to be one of the saddest verses of the Scripture. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so we see that his life was a lonely life. He would live a life of loneliness for his sin. And is anything worse than once having something and having something as good as fellowship with God than losing that fellowship? I can't think of anything worse than that. Notice it says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You know what that means? It means that God's a holy God. It means that you slayed somebody. His blood is crying out for justice to me, who a, a holy God. It's saying, what are you going to do? I, I must deal with that blood that's crying out, Cain, for what you did. And why God chose the course that he did, you guys, again, I'm just going to throw it out to you to make you think about it. I don't know. 
God chose a course of mercy and grace here instead of bringing forth his justice. You know, he really didn't show his justice right there. You know, other places you say, well, that's our God. Well, you're right. But we think of, I mentioned last week with Joshua and when Achan took of the spoils, remember what happened? It cost him his life. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Scott. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, what happened? Immediate justice. Their lives were taken. And so, why does God here not do that? Why does He show mercy and grace? I don't know. We really don't know. He's sovereign. He can do what He wants. But it does remind us, you guys, that our God is a gracious God. Our God wants to show mercy and grace. The last thing He wants to do is render that final judgment that there is no end. You know, that it, that is the end, see? You know, it's interesting in Hebrews 12, 24, there's a verse there that says, of speaking of Abel's blood, or speaking of Christ's blood, it says that his blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. And you know, the, what it's saying there is Abel's blood cried out for God's justice. But what it's saying there was that Christ's blood, what did it do? It was, it, it was God's cry to, for the redemption of sinful mankind. And that's why it says there it speaks better than the blood of Abel. What an incredible thing to think about that, that when Christ's blood was shed, it, it, it spoke better than that. And so the Lord acted quickly and certainly, and Cain, Cain is banished. you know. Um, and the same curse that fell upon the serpent, that fell upon the ground, now came upon Cain. You know, Cain feared for his life because of what he did, and so the Lord... It says, gave him a sign. And that's interesting there. Again, this is one of these things we really don't know. I could tell you what it's not. I came across as I was studying. Some say that it was a kind of a mark and even maybe a type of paralysis. So maybe he dragged a leg around or something like that. Others say it was the word Yahweh that was put over him. And still others said that it was a horn that came out of his forehead. So you'd know, you know. But I want to show you the Old Testament here. It's best translated the word sign and it means a sign for not in or on upon okay and so by a sign it was a sign God would give Cain I don't know what it looked like I don't know how it was but it would let others know leave him alone and that's what it means there and so we can conclude that the way of sin is a lonely way isn't it even even if we just commit a sin and we are in that place of from the time we have committed it till the time we have repented of it do you like that place? I sure don't. It's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible place of guilt and condemnation. It's a, it's, a, it's a place where the Holy Spirit is crying out to us, what are you doing? Turn to me. And it's not a great place. You can be in church. You can be amidst work. You can be around all types of people. But you could still be the loneliest creature on the face of the earth because of the sin that just took place. And so, again... You know, that's what we see here. It, the sin in his life led to loneliness. And just ask the one who sins and refuses to repent. And they will tell you it is a lonely way. It's a lonely way for the person that sins and will not repent. And they go on. It's a horrible way of life. Cain had sorrow here. I want you to show something here. In verse 13, he says, My punishment is too great to bear. I think what that says there is Cain had an element of sorrow in his life. But you know what? There wasn't repented. 
repentance. Because why? You didn't do the right thing. And I think it's important for you and I to understand that today in this day and age we live in, a lot of people are willing to be sorry when they get caught. But that is not repentance. Repentance is turning and doing then what God would have you do. And it's so important that we understand that. And so Cain had sorrow when he said, my punishment is too great, but it doesn't seem like there was real repentance. And so by looking at Cain's life, and it's a sad life, really is. I think all of us would say, man, I do not want my life to look like that when I, my life ends. But it's a sad life. Next time we get together, two weeks, we look at Abel. Abel's is an awesome life. Go ahead and peek ahead. You know, just do the same thing on your own because it is awesome. You look at he comes in faith. He wants to do things God's way. At the end of chapter 4, it talks about and then, uh, then man began to seek God. That's when corporate worship started. So next week we're going to talk about even more so about what it means to really walk in the Spirit and about worshiping God and all. And so it's a great way. But Cain's life, unfortunately, is a sad life. But I think if we think about it, you know, again, his life was, it was involved with his own thoughts, his own will, his own pride, hatred, hostility, and loneliness. And we could look at those, and again, I think already by now, hopefully, if there's any of those areas that are speaking to you, then you've keyed in on those. And the Lord has whispered, say, listen, hey, you've got a little anger going on in your life right now. You've got a little pride going on in your life right now. And, and we need to deal with it, you know. The Lord wanted Cain's life to be filled with his revelation, with his will, his humility, his love, his favor, his fellowship. And as we close today, we're going to just sing a couple more songs in worship. I want you to, I want that to be your desire. I want you to have a desire right now to say, God, that's what I want. And I'm not saying, I don't, most, I don't know what's going on in your life for the most part. And you know, that's the best way to keep it, you know, because you know, I'd just go goof my head up if I knew everything that was going on in your life. But God knows what's going on, and you know what's going on. And if you know there's something going on in your life, if there's an attitude, something or something in Cain's life that kind of rings true to you, then you know what? God wants to replace that right now. You know, it's so awesome that we have a God of grace and a God of mercy. But I want you to think about something else this morning, because I think this is really important, that we have a God of power. And you know what you and I need right now? And we need it every day. We need the power of the Lord, don't we? I need the power of the Lord to not be prideful. I need the power of the Lord to keep my impatience in check. I joked with you a few weeks ago how my, my wife, we were driving, and she said, you're an aggressive driver. <laughs> and I am. I'm an aggressive driver. Just ask the guys. You know, Tom is real polite, Pastor Tom. You know, he says, they always tease me about my driving, but he says, he does know how to get around Seattle fast. <laughs> but, but, you know, we just want the, we, we want the power of God, see? And so, if, is Jesse here? Get him up here. Let's just worship again, and as we do, would you just, again, before we leave, let's, we don't have to wait, see? You know what is going on in your life, what's not going on in your life. And God knows what's going on in your life and not going on in your life. That's how it should be. Now, the thing is this. If, if you know, God, I just need your power in this area. And if you decide right now not to ask for his power, I'm not going to know it, but he's going to know that you're going to walk out of here and you, you had a chance to call upon his power and you didn't do it. And again, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to be encouraging. Sorry if I'm not sounding that way. Okay? See what I mean? I want you to do it. 
You know? So just say, Lord, help me in this area. Again, you know, we don't point fingers. My dad was alive, you know, dads always have these scenes, right? And, you know, my dad, if I pointed, my dad always said, remember, there's three pointing back at you, you know? And he always had that way of just turning it around and making you feel horrible about what you were doing, you know? Okay, dad, you're right, you know? And we're not pointing fingers. You know, we're not saying shame on you or you or this or that. We're all in the same boat. We all struggle with these things at times. But what we all need is the power of God. And so this morning, we're going to just sing one more song. And as we sing it, then just take time. Just say, thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for showing me this life. And again, I'm not saying any of your lives are near where Cain's is. But do you see what could happen? If these little things start creeping into our lives before we know it, who knows? I mean, I'm sure all of us know people that once were walking in an incredible way with the Lord, and now they're not walking with the Lord at all. And if you go back and look, you'll probably find that things like this happen and they didn't get dealt with. So, Jesse, lead us in another song. Let's just worship the Lord. And. Uh...